Take your copy of the scriptures or the Pew Bible in front of you and turn to 1 Timothy. We continue in our exposition of 1 Timothy. We are now in chapter 3 and verses 14 through 16 in the concluding remarks of this chapter, but this actually bleeds over into the next section. But we are in this, uh, what we might say, the, 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 the theme and the, uh, the central aspect of this letter, First uh, Timothy 3, and I want us to look at the church, the pillar, and the ground of truth. We'll look at that this Sunday and next Sunday, and maybe the Sunday after that. We'll see. But First Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 14, let us hear God's word. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves or conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles or nations that can be understood, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Our Father and God, we pray for the help of your spirit now. Bless the reading the instruction, the proclamation of your word, I pray that you would rest upon me as I speak. And may your spirit lead us into the way of truth. May he give us understanding. May he bring your word to bear upon our hearts and the implications of it. So strengthen and sanctify your people. And by your spirit and word, in the truth of the gospel of your son, we pray that you would save sinners. We ask this in the blessed name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We have a very important section or passage of scripture here this morning. We have a type of... Uh, Paul's vision and understanding of the church and, and in particular, its, its manner, its, its conduct, its behavior, its way of life. And so we'll see this morning in the coming weeks, the, the manner and the way of life of the church, the mission of the church, and thirdly, the message of the church. So just think of those M's, manner, mission, and message. I want us to begin to unfold If you noticed in verses 14 and 15, he says, I write, I write these things. I write to you, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you, the apostle Paul understands that he might be delayed in his coming to Ephesus. And so by God's wise providence, in his delay and anticipation of it, he writes. 
And that's what we find often he does. God in his providence will corral Paul either by weather, by things that will hamper his travels, imprisonment, it will lead him to writing. Our brother Paul being kept up by COVID. He's translating the, the confession in the language of the Indonesian language, he said in his email. He's a good way into it. You see what God in his providence does? When you have a man that's like that, who's like a hummingbird who can't sit still, God just puts him down, doesn't he? Yeah, like Paul in prison. So God in his wise providence and by the inspiration of his spirit, he supplies the opportunity for Paul to write, to write. Graffé, write. Again, notice verse 14. These things I write to you. Simple words. What he will write and what he has written is scripture. It's scripture. Paul is writing scripture. The letter that we have in our hands this morning, 1 Timothy, is the 15th book of the New Testament canon. He wrote it. God in his providence prepared the events for Paul to write this book. His spirit moved him, breathed out on him to write this book, this breathed out word of God. And God preserved this word and by providence, it is now the 15th book of the New Testament. Do you see that? A thousand ways that God works in providence. You read that and you think, did Paul realize he was writing scripture? Did he know that? Did the apostles realize they were writing the word of God? Did they realize that what they were pinning, that those books that they pinned that were preserved would become the New Testament canon? What appears so? Yeah. If you, uh, if you turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, I want you to notice something. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Notice this. Therefore, beloved, this is the Apostle Peter now writing, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him that is Christ in peace without spot and blameless. Verse 15, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. 
Now notice this. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has what? Has written to you. Now here's Peter writing to those churches, you remember, we've, we've talked about these churches up around the Black Sea area there in Asia Minor. He's writing to those churches, and he's beginning, and now he's talking about Paul's writing, where Paul has written to them. Verse 16, as also in all of his epistles, in his epistles, like Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, 1 Timothy, his epistles, his letters, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist. Remember that, twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of what? Of the scriptures. Peter is calling Paul's writings what? Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they understood that. They were apostles sent from Christ, commissioned by Christ personally. They were spokesmen for Christ. In our in our passage in in 1 Timothy 3, in this book, and then he will write again in 2 Timothy. But here in 1 Timothy, we're seeing that the, 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 the apostle is writing. Now catch this. I've mentioned this at the beginning of the letter. When he, you remember the language he referred to Timothy? He said to Timothy, remember verse 2, a true son in the faith. A true son. So Paul writes to him like a, like a father figure. A true son in the faith. So here we have now Paul. Now this is important for this morning. Paul is writing to Timothy and to the, it would also for the church at Ephesus and indirectly to us here today. He's writing and equipping, listen, the next generation of pastors like Timothy. As, as I mentioned before, what we've already seen in here, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a book of church order. Qualifications for elders, for deacons, life in the church. It, it's like a, uh, typically in Baptist life, we don't call it a BCO, book of church order. We'll often call it a, a, a minister's manual. And it will tell you, you may not know that. The average person in the pew may not know that. We, you get a book. It's a small book and having their uh, how to do an ordination. What are the qualifications for leadership? How to do a funeral? How's the church to be structured? How to do a wedding? Yeah. And we have we have here, as I've mentioned before, a kind of early book of church order. How you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. So there is instructions here, and this what we call the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, that's written to leadership in the church, and it's relevant for all Christians, but especially to the, to the elders, to ministers of the gospel, 
And so there's a word here. Now catch this. We need to understand Paul's thinking. Paul understands, we know this from 2 Timothy, that he will soon be passing, passing off the scene. And so he's thinking and giving and supplying a word to the next generation of pastors like Timothy and for the churches for the future. After he's gone. Paul understood himself as an apostle, Ephesians 2.20, Ephesians 2.20, that he as an apostle and the prophets of the Old Testament and the prophets in the New Testament were, his language, foundation layers. A foundation is laid for the superstructure of the church to be built upon. He understood his role as a foundation layer. That something was going to be built on this foundation that he was laying, writing, setting, and establishing in his ministry. Do you see that? Now, Paul's overall thinking. Now, let's learn from this. Listen, Paul's overall thinking that we're seeing here and and then we'll see it as it unfolds with the mission and the message of the church. Paul's thinking is global and generational. You say, how, how do you know that, Steve? Well, I know it's generational because he's he understands his role as a foundation layer. He's writing to the next generation, to the his true son in the faith, and knowing that the baton is about to be passed. And it's global. Notice when we, when we speak of the, the mission of the church or the, the message, the message of the, of, of the church in verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Some of your Bibles says he, we'll talk about that in the future, but God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels in this language here, preached among the Gentiles. Now that can be translated Gentiles are nations, same word ethne, the ethnos, the preached among the nations. Paul's thinking is global and generational. He, he, his thinking is shaped by the coming of Christ, the person of Christ. Look, look what's in that, in that confession there. We're going to talk about this confession, this hymn of faith here. It, it, he's manifested. He was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. You see, Paul's thinking is shaped by the coming of Christ, the person of Christ, and the work of Christ. Do you see that? It's right there. It's, it's deeply rooted in the promise of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, as we like to say, the skull-crushing seed of the woman. It's deeply rooted in the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant to bless that the seed of Abraham would come and be a blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles. It's deeply rooted. All of these are, are spanning out. It's moving to fulfillment from that seed of the woman to the seed of Abraham, the covenant of Abraham, moving into the great commission that Christ had given the apostles to go into all the world, to go to the nations and preach the gospel. Do you see Paul's thinking? 
And Paul did not think that was going to be completed in a generation. That's why he's, he's preparing and passing the baton to Timothy. As he understood, again, his role as a foundation layer in the church, Paul himself as an apostle. Paul did not know the date. He knew Christ was returning. He knew he was coming again. He writes about that. But he didn't know the date of the second coming of Christ. As Jesus taught in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. So what did the apostle do in light of that? Did he retreat? Did he go hide out? No. Again, we have... We have the example and the words of the apostles and Paul himself. What Paul did, listen closely, church. The apostle, an understanding that of the global mission and the generational aspect of it, the apostle rose up his shirt sleeve and by God's grace, he labored. He labored. Listen to his own words in 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. He's speaking of the other apostles. Than they all. Yet not I, he said, but the grace of God which was with me. You hear that? And he labored. He did not, listen church, he did not wait around and hesitate and wait for what we would call an extraordinary work of God. He didn't. He didn't. If God does an extraordinary work, that's his business of his sovereign dealings and workings, right? Paul, like the other apostles, he labored trusting in God and his regular or ordinary means to accomplish his purposes. Let me say that again so it sinks in, I hope. Paul and the other apostles labored, trusting in God and in his regular or ordinary means to accomplish his purposes. You want an example? Then back in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, when Paul said, I labored all the more, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, notice what he says in the very next verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I, Paul, or they, the apostles, so we preach. There it is. 
What do you do, Paul, as you're waiting and anticipating the the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you do, Paul, when you understand that that your time may be short at a hand, as you're passing the baton to the next generation, as you're planning generation, as you're laboring to reach the nations with a global vision of reaching the nations with the gospel? What do you do, Paul? I preach. I preach. That is the ordinary means. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? Right? I preach. Many of you have come from certain evangelical backgrounds that have a a vision and understanding of the New Testament and then the mission and the message of the church that I'm just going to be frank. It's just not biblical. (laughs) It's just not biblical. I'm trying to shape for God's people here, the biblical vision and the message and the mission and the manner of life of the New Testament church and churches, because that's what we are. And this is what we're to be doing. So what do we do? We preach. What is Paul doing? Paul is obeying his master. The Lord Jesus. Listen listen to the, the words. Listen to the instruction of the Lord Jesus to his apostles. Immediately he will instruct them. And then it, it and as they are foundation layers of the church, it's indirectly then to the churches to continue that mission through through the life of the church, the eldership, and the ministers of, of Christ in the next and coming generations. It's Matthew twenty-eight. Matthew twenty-eight, beginning of verse eighteen. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the Lord Jesus Christ now, the the risen, the risen son, the, the son who obeys the father, who's crucified for our sins, who's buried and now risen from the dead. The, the resurrected Christ appears to his apostles and to the multitude, the other disciples that were there. He's about to ascend on heaven. And Peter tells us in the book of Acts where that he will ascend to the right hand side of the father, to the, the promised that the seed of Abraham, the seed of David will set upon the everlasting throne of David and he reigns he reigns with all authority notice the language in heaven and on earth do you see that and with that authority King Jesus upon the throne through his church, his, his church militant upon the earth and his proclamation of the, of the gospel through ministry of word and sacrament as the language of the reformers, the nations are conquered. As the father would say, ask of thee and I will give thee the nations for thy inheritance. Verse 19, Matthew 28. He tells us, 
And this is what Paul's been doing. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, and lo, I am always with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Or some of your Bibles may say to the end of the world. It's the end of the age. Amen. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying that there is there is this this global mission and fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise to go to the nations. He go you go and you are to make disciples of all the nations. You you disciple peoples, ethnic groups, people groups from all those nations, and you baptize them. And we see them, men and women and children from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. We see them in the Revelation. They've been purchased by the blood of the Son. He's bossed them. He's purchased them with his death. They're his. The church is on a search and rescue mission, as we say, right? And, And they are to be baptized... In the the name of the triune God, and they are to be taught, verse 20, to observe all things that Christ has commanded. That is, that found in Scripture. That That which is found in Scripture. And so what we have here in this very language of baptizing and teaching and and all things I've commanded you, we know that part of that would also be the Lord's Supper. Part of that would be not forsaking the assembling together, the gathering of the ecclesia, the church that Paul's writing about here in Ephesians in verses uh, three, I mean, chapter three, verse 14 through 16, the gathering of the church, the instructing of of that truth, that confession, the mystery of godliness in verse 16, they are to be instructed in that and so it's a it's a it's a ministry a labor of word instruction of the word and of sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper those other things that that also preach right those signs that preach now again back to first Timothy 3 again now The word that he is writing, catch this, because when we speak of the manner of the church, again, his language that he's using here, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, verse 15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself, how you ought to behave in the house of of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so we have an inspired word in Scripture, the Bible. And here in this case, in particular, Paul's writing here, and it's it's it has authority because it's God's word who is the living God. It's God's word where this church is at that has now, as it stands upon, and it is the pillar and the ground of truth. Listen to this authoritative word, how Paul will explain it. Not only did they understand what they were writing, but listen, 2 Timothy 3.16, watch this. All 2 Timothy, 
3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is the breathed out Word of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if you've been with us for any time, I always point out how this runs together. He, he speaks of the, the, the inspired word of God, the inspiration of God in its word, and how it's profitable for its teaching, its doctrine, its, its for correction, for reproof, for instruction of righteousness, that the, that the man of God, the, the eldership would be built up and they would instruct us to the, then to the the church body so that the people of God would be built up and then notice what he says right into the next verse in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy and I charge you Timothy therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead you see he starts talking about the second advent the second coming who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom verse 2 what does he tell him to do preach the word what word? The Spirit-inspired word. The, the Bible. Paul's word. Peter's words. The words of Jesus. The prophets. Isaiah's words. Right? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then Peter, again, Peter bringing him back into this, the other apostle, Peter writes about the inspired and authoritative word of God. We're, we're leading up to this, 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 uh, this message that we're preaching, this, the manner and how the church is to, to live and to carry out and to obey the scriptures. This is what we're seeing here. And this, this, the, the, the mission of the church is this pillar and ground of truth. I mean, what is this truth we're standing upon? What is this truth we're proclaiming here? This is what we're seeing here. This preached word, this authoritative word, this, in, this inspired word of God is what we're talking about here. And it's the truth of Christ himself. Watch this. In 2 Peter 1.19 and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and so we have, we have the prophetic word. If, if I would say, that's the product. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Again, there's the product. It is scripture. The product is scripture. And then he speaks of the process of how this, how we get this scripture, the product of scripture. How do we get it? For verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that language there is like wind blowing on a sail of a ship and moving it along as the spirit of God breathed out, as he, as he breathed out upon men, they pinned the word of God, the prophetic word, the scripture. And so the product is the scripture and the process of it is the word of God. And it is the spirit of God that has given us this word. And so he writes to us 
I write to you, verse 14, back in our text, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself, behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. This, these verses are the central theme of the letter to Timothy. This is why he's writing. This is the central theme. This is why Paul's writing to Timothy has preserved this book for us here today, that we may know these things and understand these things. Now, when I say manner, I mean, this is how we are to conduct ourselves. This is how we are to behave. Now watch this. I'm going to wrap up with this because of time. Because there's so much here. This, these, these three verses are pregnant with truth and what we need to understand concerning the vision and the mission and the message of the church. Watch this. He writes these things, the inspired word to the church and how we are to behave in it. You remember in the previous section about elders and deacons, one of the things that they were to do is to rule their household well. You remember that? They were to lead their home, instruct their home, right? And this now, where we live as God's people, is the household of who? Of God. Now, has God left us amiss, or does he give us a clear word and instruction on how we are to live? in his house, right? That's what we're seeing here. He's telling us, our Father in heaven, the Son of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is telling us how we, what we are to believe, the message, but also the manner and how we're to conduct ourselves. This is where we get this whole thing of the, the church and its worship being regulated by God, instructed by his word, And, and watch what will happen here. Watch this. It, he, he'll move from verse 14 and 15 and into this message in verse 16. This becomes this message, this, this confession, this hymn of faith. And again, remember, they, they didn't have, in, in our original, in, in, when this was originally written, there were not verse marks, like one, two chapters. It, it ran together like it was a letter. Notice what he says. Now the Spirit, verse 1 of chapter 4. Why do we need truth? Why do we need a word from God, from the apostle? Why do we need to know this, the, 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 how we are to behave, the manner of our behavior in the church? Why do we know, need to know the mission of the church? Why do we need to know this, the, 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 this message to declare? Verse 1 of chapter 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will what? Depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. As, as the church moves out, as it, as it moves out into the world, as it goes global, reaching out and penetrating the darkness, it will confront and come in contact with the prince of the power there, the god of this world, and demonic forces. 
Right? That's Ephesians 6. And they, they too have ministers. Haven't we seen that in 2 Corinthians? They too have ministers. And they twist the word. It's doctrines of demons. It's false teaching. And so the church is to take the inscripted word, the, the inspired word, and preach it and teach it and hold to it. And we are to be the pillar and ground of truth to the world. We're to go forth with it. We're to stand bravely and strongly handling the word of truth. Is what he's saying here. Do you see this? Now, let me give some application. We'll close. So this was like an introduction, I guess. I got more notes here. This is like an introduction. But let me give you an application here. Okay, I want you to hear this in light of we've we've recently the elders have called upon the church to pray for them, pray for the elders, pray for the church body, pray for Robert Tolbert as he's assisting the elders. The church has grown. God has blessed. We'll see what will continue to unfold over the coming days. But we need wisdom, wisdom from above. We need wisdom. We, it appears we're going to need God's provision. Now watch this. And that, with that in mind, listen to this. And consider these truths that we're seeing here. And that we will see over the coming weeks. First, first of all, in the way of application, like Timothy, we are to receive the words of the apostle as instruction on how we are to conduct ourselves in the household of God. We are to read it, we are to learn from it, and we are to obey it. All right. In the manner that we conduct ourselves, it appears that now broadly out there in evangelicalism, out in the churches that are surrounding us, that it's this language here. Oh, you must keep the message, guard the message, but your methods are up for grabs. And every pragmatic way is available and should be applied, right? In the name of growth, reaching people, and the list goes on and on. I want to make it clear to you. There are some things that are in differences. We can meet in a building. We can meet underneath a tree. We can meet in a cave. We can have an air conditioner or not have an air conditioner. I want an air conditioner. <laughs> but the methods that God has given us, he's given them to us. He tells us how to do church. It's through the ordinary means. And the primary means is the instruction and the reading of God's word. The reformers got it right. It is word, sacrament, and prayer, right? So we are to read it, we are to learn it, we are to obey it. Secondly, 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 we are to understand that this word that we are to read, to learn, and to obey, and to apply, in this case, in the manner, and the way that we are to behave, and conduct ourselves in the house of God, 
And you remember, he's been laying it out. He, he talked about in chapter 2 about worship and about the men leading in worship, qualified men, about how the women are to live and, and how their conduct is to be. He moves right into the qualifications of eldership, qualifications for deacon. He's laying it out. But secondly, we are to understand that this word that we are receiving is the inspired and authoritative word of, in Paul's language, of the living God. The living God. Next. Next, we need to notice the mentality of Paul and of the other apostles in the sense how they understand the manner of life, the mission, and the message of the church. We are, we are to hear their words, the doctrine that they are teaching, and the examples that they provide for us. They model it for us in Scripture. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Okay. We see it in their labors. It's, it, it, it's grounded, listen to me, it's grounded in the message of Christ. And it's been committed to the churches. The church at Ephesus and all the succeeding generations and even to us here today. They were thinking of the mission and the life of the church with the possibilities of its wideness and its longevity. They were thinking the long haul. Its wideness, global. Its longevity, generational. Are you hearing me? They labored with God's purposes in mind, globally and generationally, reaching the nations, all peoples, and realizing that it's going to take hard work and it's going to take time and generations. Do you hear me? All right. We need to follow the instruction and example of the apostles, the apostle Paul, and the, the overall flow of scripture as it moves from Genesis up to and through to Revelation. It's globally and generationally is what they're doing. Let that settle in your mind. That may take a while. They were not sitting around just waiting for some extraordinary work of God, though God can do that. They were laboring hard. He, he'll use, Paul would use the word for labor in the pastoral epistles. That means to labor to the point of exhaustion. They labored through the ordinary means Word, sacrament, some of you don't like the word sacrament, that's okay, ordinances, and prayer. 
They labored in those means. They went, they worked hard, and they, above all, the primary means of God's gracious activity, he does it through preaching. Preaching. All right. Now, I think most of you here can say yes and amen to those kinds of things. Stay with me. There's a lot of new folks here in the last year. A lot of new folks. You've heard me say in the new members class, you know, I want you to understand that you, you've come from somewhere, but I want you to understand what you've come to. I want you to understand this. Yeah, if you've worshipped with us for any amount of time, you're starting to get it. I hope. The life and the ministry of the church revolves around the fellowship of God's people, the regulated worship of God, and the appointed means according to the scriptures of the building up of the church through prayer, the instruction of the word, the observance of the Lord's Supper and baptism. So what do we need? In the end, all we need, our folks know this, we need the book, we need the book, and we need what else? We need water, preferably a lot of water, right, Sean? Sean taught this. Preferably a lot of water. What else do we need, Tracy? Wine. And what else? And bread. That's all we need. You give me the book, and you get us some, some water and bread and wine, and we can meet in a cave, a catacomb, under a tree, or in a nice building, Right? Now, if, if you're with us and you've been worshiping with us, visiting with us, saying, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out who you guys are, where you stand on things. Where we stand, well, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I want, you, I want you to know that as you come in here and you've been out there, and I don't always know what's out there because we're always in here. <laughs> But if you are looking for that which is steady, stable, if you're looking for the sanctuary of your soul, the rest, the Sabbath, that great salvation that has come to us in His Son, That's all we have to give you. And it's in the ministry of word and sacrament and prayer. No methods outside of scripture in the sense of the games being played. No praise band. No games. No fanfare. No whiz bang. That's not what we're here for. No lights. No smoke. 
If, if that's worn you out and you're looking for paper and ink and bread and wine and water and the singing of God's people and the gathering of God's people, the place for satisfaction for your soul and rest for your soul and salvation for your soul, it's right here. It's right here. The, we will labor that the marks of a true church will be found right here. The faithful preaching of God's word, the, the, the right administration of, of the, the sacraments and, and church, the observance of church discipline. We're rooted, we're grounded in those things. Let me say this also. No novel or contemporary teaching or doctrine. I promise you, at least long as I'm alive, no novel or contemporary teaching or doctrine. There'll be no doctrine taught here that's 150 years old. No doctrine that's 200 years old. I promise you. You find it, you come show it to me and we'll correct course. No doctrine 300 years old, 400 years old, 500 years old. This is why we confess the ancient creeds of the church. We stand in that river of ancient Christianity. That's why we stand in the confessions of the Reformation that are continued to link to the history of the church. Stay with us. We'll teach you church history. No novel doctrines. We will quarry the scriptures and their historic understanding as declared by God's people in church, the pillar and the ground of truth. And primarily, primarily, listen to me. Some of the young men know what I'm talking about. The teaching and its sources from the Word of God, but our understanding of it, the teachers that we will read will be 17th century and before. It will be pre-enlightenment, pre-postmodern, no, no confusion about gender here. No confusion about roles. No confusion about this book. Do you see what I'm saying? No confusion on the classical historical doctrine of God. No confusion about the Son as the eternally begotten Son. Do you hear what I'm saying? Andrew knows what I'm saying. Okay. The Western, to the best that I can see around me and what is happening, listen, church. Western civilization is collapsing. And it's happening rapidly. Now, if you don't think that can happen, that's what they thought about Rome and every other empire. You need to go read the book of Daniel. Western civilization is collapsing. And it's not even being conquered by outside forces. 
It's imploding in on itself. And the church, the visible church, for the most part, has apostatized or is collapsing around us. What I want you to understand, as we labor with a global vision and understanding of the church to reach the nations, as we labor, as we labor for generations, for generations, our desire is that when the dust settles after the collapse, the church is still here. Do you see, you see what I'm saying? I'm not talking about some silly three-month, three-year plan. We're talking about the long haul. As we press into that as a congregation, and some of you, if you see that vision, if you understand what the scriptures are teaching about this, if you choose to be with us and to stand with us and to labor with us, we need your prayers, we need your patience, we need your commitment, we will need finances over the coming days and years. And there will be bridges that we're going to have to build from point A to B to get there. But labor with us if you claim the name of Christ. Labor for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Do you hear me? We're laboring to that end. See that global, generationally. We are laboring to that end. Pray for the elders. Pray for the coming days as we'll begin to speak more about this. Let me close with this. I'm running out of time. It's way out of time. If you turn to where we've been at in 1 Timothy, notice verse 15. Because I want to end because we're going to move to the table. Verse 15 of chapter 1. This is, faith, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom the apostle says, I am chief. This is the message. But the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came in flesh. He manifested himself in flesh. He came and he lived among, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. That which we have disobeyed, that where we have failed, the Son of God, the second Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus obeyed in our place. And he obeyed, the scripture says, the Father, even to the point of death. He not only was sinless, but he died on the cross. He bore the penalty in the place of sinners. He died as, as if he, he died as if he was one of us, but yet he was without sin. He took the penalty of our sin, and it was laid on him. And he suffered and made atonement, the Bible says, for us. And through his death and through the shedding of his blood, atonement was made. And the Bible says that by his death, our sins are washed away. We are reconciled to God. We are forgiven. And by his obedience, we are declared just in the sight of God. Sins washed away. 
and the righteousness of the Son applied to us, received by the gracious God, given to us, received by faith, and faith alone because of the Son. If you're here this morning without Christ, apart from Christ, you're not a, a confessing Christian, turn from your sin and embrace the Son of God, for in Him is life. For he came, as you heard the words of the apostle, to save sinners. As we come to the table this morning, that which we see in his word, we will see in the, in the table. He's given us the sign and symbol of the bread and the cup, the wine, the bread, his broken body for us. The cup, he drank the cup of God's wrath in our place. And the, and the wine, the juice, the, 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 the blood of Christ, he shed his blood for us. And so those of us that are in Christ, we eat and we drink to the nourishing of our souls. In this is life eternal in the sun. We eat and drink of him. He is our meat and drink. Amen. Amen. And so if you're with us this morning and you are a believer, you have confessed Christ, you have embraced him as he is found in the gospel. You are baptized by water in the name of the triune God. You are a member of a Bible-believing church in good standing. That is, you're not under church discipline. Maybe you're here with us and you're searching for a new church home and you're a Christian. We invite you to partake of this table with us, to eat and drink with us in this meal. If you're not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, we ask that you not partake of the supper, that we want you to stay we want you to observe it with the eye and listen to the words concerning it. And our hope and prayer is, is that you will learn more of Christ and the gospel through this sign and symbol. Let us pray.